Hello and welcome to Investment Matters, a podcast brought to you by Emirates NBD. My name is Maurice Gravier. I am Chief Investment Officer for the bank. In the last episode, we gave you a preview of our global investment outlook for 2021, and we will come back in more details in the next episode. Today, we will speak about the longer term. We will share with you how we think the crisis of 2020 has fundamentally affected the long-term picture for your investments. To do that, it is my great pleasure to welcome our Head of Asset Allocation and Quantitative Strategies, Mr. Giorgio Borelli. Giorgio works with Emirates NBD for almost 10 years, and he has over 20 years of investment experience in our region and in Europe. His mission is simple to express, but quite complex to execute, to provide our clients with the best possible mix of asset classes in terms of risk and expected return for their respective profiles. This requires an intimate knowledge of financial markets, as well as quantitative skills. Good news, he has both. So, Without further ado, Giorgio, the year 2020 has been extraordinary on many fronts. How do you see the pandemic and policy reactions affect portfolios in the longer run? Hello, Maurice. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, to answer your question, Maurice, I'd rather look at policy response as the main driver of longer-term returns rather than the pandemic. Pandemics pose a problem of mortality rates and duration. In other words, how many people die and how long will it last? That's what's relevant. There is precedence in this sense. For instance, using the 1918 Spanish flu as a model, the current one should not last longer than 18 to 24 months, and the mortality rate, after all, should be reduced by vaccinations and the other measures being taken. Policy response, on the other hand, is much more relevant and makes for a longer-lasting backdrop. You know, we are now transitioning from monetary to fiscal policy dominance. In other words, fiscal stimulus will be increasingly relevant, which eventually means more money is being put in people's pockets. So, we should see a reflationary period ahead, marked by stronger economic growth. Yes. Monetary policy will be important, but to support the ability of governments to spend money and drive the economic cycle. This is the so-called modern monetary theory, whereby public debt is bought also by, by the central bank, so monetized through money printing. In the end, a central bank like the US Federal Reserve will be instrumental to the government reaching its economic goals but it won't be anymore the only player supporting growth and employment. And well, if policy changes, forecast returns and allocations must change accordingly. For instance, the typical benchmark with a share of 60% equities and 40% bonds could be labeled as a monetary policy portfolio where both asset classes, equities and treasuries, perform quite well in a central bank supporting environment. But now, with fiscal measures being more directly inflationary, the new asset mix will have to be less sensitive to duration risk. Wow, thank you, very clear. Duration is good as long as interest rates are trending lower and we're already at such a low levels. Which leads me to my second question. 
how do you see longer term returns as compared to their historical averages? What kind of expectations should investors have? Well, I must say that our projected returns are below the past historical averages due to a combination of unfavorable starting valuations and the longer term reach positioning of investors. You know, in principle, it is as simple as that. The more expensive the asset class, the more overowned it is, the less upside is left. You will sure remember that the renowned economist John Maynard Keynes is famous for the quote that markets can stay irrational for longer than one can stay solvent. So markets can stay expensive for longer than one would rationally expect. But in the longer term, valuations and positioning should eventually revert to the mean. So again, the starting point matters. And considering the kind of value offered today by asset classes, we cannot see persistent upside in the next 10 years. As for positioning, a long record is available for US equities only. And the data on this front suggests that equity holdings in the typical US portfolio are way above average values. So returns should be more muted. And if I think about the role of monitoring fiscal policy, yes, central banks and governments can pull forward future returns with more stimulus measures. But in the end, reckoning should come. Since more debt depresses growth and too much liquidity fosters financial instability, which is an elegant way to say that valuations become more unsustainable. Now, bonds have always been the direct beneficiaries of repeated liquidity injections and of central banks' quantitative easing. And in relative terms, they have become more expensive than equities. Treasury yields are close to all-time lows and credit spreads are pretty tight, sitting well below historical averages. So if we rank asset classes after their overvaluation, we would have treasuries first, then credit, and finally equities. But we must think that returns are also accounted for by future economic growth. And the swing factors in this sense are population growth and productivity. Now, global demographics have seen a steady tendency towards aging populations while technological progress has so far failed to reverse the declining trend in productivity. So overall, we still have reason to believe that asset classes will not be living up to the expectations fulfilled in the past. In the end, we see 4 to 5% returns for credit, almost 6% for developed market equities, more than 8% for emerging market stocks, Global real estate, in particular global REITs, also have appealing returns of 6% plus annualized. Gold and hedge funds should be more in the lower single digits, although they offer diversification benefits by lowering portfolio volatility. Thank you, Giorgio. Uh, and uh, I am personally very proud that Emirates NBD is part of the very limited circle of banks globally, which actually maintain and communicate their long-term capital market forecast. And all of them will be, of course, in our Global Investment Outlook publication. Now, that was for the return. Coming to our asset allocation. 
What is specific to emergency BD portfolios? How can they stand up to the existing challenges of lower expected returns and the economic changes ahead? I really think that our strategic asset allocation should stand the test of time, being based on the premise that clients' money must be shielded from losses, at least to a certain extent. We have made lots of efforts to build optimal portfolios while at the same time embedding capital preservation requirements into them. Optimal simply means that returns are delivered with the lowest possible risk, so the lowest volatility. Our capital preservation rule implies that investors should have a 90% probability of non-negative returns three years out for a cautious profile, five years out for a moderate, and after seven years for an aggressive one. Simulations show that even our return and risk assumptions, the 90% rule at the specific time horizon holds for all of the three risk profiles. So we have come up with asset allocation templates which are relatively defensive so that clients' money is safer. According to our projections, a cautious investor is expected to gain 3.3% annualized with a risk of 4.8%, the moderate one 4.4% with a risk of 7.6%, and an aggressive client should gain 5.5% accepting 10.7% volatility. We are happy with these numbers, considering the challenges posed by high valuations and capital preservation needs. These challenges have to a degree been overcome by skewing the new portfolios more towards emerging market bonds and equities, where we see higher returns, both in absolute and risk-adjusted terms. The emerging market countries with a superior growth profile and less demanding valuations seem to be more of a sweet spot in the current uninspiring environment. Treasuries, on the other hand, offer very limited value and little diversification benefits at such lower yields. So their share in the portfolios has been reduced. We maintain relatively high cash levels, both for capital preservation and opportunistic reasons. Thank you, that's very clear. And, and let me maybe highlight the, the, the two key features that I just heard. Uh, the first one is that our asset allocation is built to preserve capital on respectively three, five, and seven years. And the way you have adapted it to this um, new investment landscape of low return is to add emerging markets more than developed markets. Now, uh, you just mentioned that you have cash for opportunistic reasons, which spells volatility for me. So. What could go wrong? What kind of risks lie ahead for investors? Well, the primary market risk investors will be facing is inflation. To be sure, for the next year or two, the drags of the pandemic will still be prevailing. But in the medium term, monetary and fiscal policy aligned could boost the purchasing power of individuals to a point that price pressures emerge. We would also presume that at levels we continue to be tackled via modern monetary theory, that is via monetization of debt, which on the one hand we see debt grow and on the other higher odds of inflation. Eventually stagflation, so price pressures and stagnant growth would come to pass. 
A related concern is currency debasement. Until when will investors have trust in the value of a currency if central banks keep on printing it at leisure to help governments? And this would unfortunately pave the way for the unintended consequences of modern monetary theory. The best way to hedge these risks, in our view, unlikely anyway to become significant in the next couple of years, is by owning gold, the currency which cannot be printed. On another front, we see the China-US conflict simmering in the background and coming inevitably back as the rising superpower encroaches more into the incumbent's domain. We have already had a foretaste of how badly global growth would be affected in the case of a serious confrontation. Peaceful coexistence will have to be sought for by both sides as the natural direction of travel is towards growing friction. There are also signs that social unrest is growing in the United States fueled by heightened inequality, stagnating wages, and the push towards the automation of low added value tasks. Social unrest remains the hardest problem to solve since wealth and income gaps are not easily addressed and require high degree of elite cohesion and cooperation. Hmm. Thank you. No doubt we are living dangerous but also fascinating times. Thank you very much, Giorgio, for this very insightful conversation. And I hope that our audience enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, we will imminently release our full Global Investment Outlook publication where you will find all the details on asset allocation and much more. And we'll certainly go through our convictions for the year in the next episode. In the meantime, on 9th of February, we will hold a dedicated webinar for our clients where we would love to welcome you. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and invest wisely for the long term.